don't be afraid to keep taking pictures. Just because you take a bad one doesn't mean the next one's going to be bad. The more pictures you take, the better you become. And keep sharing those images. Don't be afraid to just have a website and just keep posting and posting and posting because at some point there'll be a turning point and go, man, I'm getting really good at this. Then you can go back and look at where you started. I want to be my current self from this point forward. I want to learn how to play piano. Working with human beings. Drinking wine in the middle of the day. I want to be a I'm going to be the next greatest painter. Just kind of work with kids, getting them ahead in life. I want to be a welder. I want to be a beach bum. I want to be a baseball player. Brewmaster. A winemaker. Professional snuggler. Let me mention those sweet, hot lavender baths and writing in the evening. What's up, everybody? I'm Blake Fletcher, and this is the Half Hour Intern Podcast, where we explore the interesting paths that people take in life. And in today's episode, we explore the super awesome path of being a sports photographer with Andrew Weber. First, I just wanted to quickly say thank you so much to everyone that has given on the Patreon page so far. Um, So far, there's been 12 of you guys, and that means so, so, so much to Frank and I. Um, As I've said before, it's just the two of us that work on this show. So any money that gets contributed... It goes a really, really, really long way because it doesn't need to be split up like a million different ways or anything. And I know the first and last name of every single one of you guys that has contributed so far. It's like you guys are part of this small family that's helped keeping this thing alive. So thank you so much for that. If you would like to be a part of the small family that is keeping this thing alive, just head over to patreon.com slash half hour intern and uh, feel free to contribute there. There's different rewards that you can get. Um, it will explain the different goals that we have. And if you're actually one of the next three contributors, as I said, we're at 12 right now. If you are one of the first 15 people, I'm going to be raffling away um, a couple of t-shirts to uh, two of the first 15 people that are contributing on the Patreon. So if you're one of the next three people, you might get a free shirt out of it. So um, anyways, on to today's episode. In it, like I said, I talked to Andrew, who is a sports photographer, and we talk about so many awesome things like the technical considerations for photographing a live event, which are just so crazy because everything is moving so incredibly fast. There's just so much extra stuff as a photographer that you have to be on top of. Um, The interesting immediacy of sports photography where now because of Twitter and Instagram and stuff like that, Andrew actually has to run on and off the floor of the event from taking photos. Then he has to run back to his computer where he uploads them, edits them really quickly, sends them off to the company that he's taking them for because they need to immediately, while that event is still going on, get those things posted online so they can look like they're with it, you know? Um, So, which is just so interesting to me. Um, We'll also talk about pay, like who he's paid by, how much you can get paid as a sports photographer, and all kinds of lessons that he's learned in his career as a photographer um, for any amateur photographers out there so without further ado here is sports photographer andrew thanks so much for coming on the show today hey thanks blake thanks for having me yeah absolutely man so i think first of all to kind of set the stage for the rest of the questions that i ask if you could please paint the picture for us of what it's like doing photography for a live sporting event and when i say that i guess i mean tell us the story of of being an actual employee and like how do you, how you get the job and once you've gotten the job where do you go in the event? Do you have like a special check-in area? Do you have these special things that you have to do so you can then be on the floor to photograph the event? Sure. So prior to even going to the event, you have to be hired by a company to go to the sporting event, whether that be a company like Sports Illustrated or ESPN or Getty Images or the Associated Press or a school directly or a team directly. Before that, you can't even just show up and go, hey, I'm a photographer. 
So you have to have credentials. You have to be there on an assignment for someone. And kind of once you have that and you show up, there is special media parking. There's media check-in. And kind of once you get to the media check-in area, that's where you pick up your credentials that allows you to go to the field, the core inside the photo well at a baseball game, NASCAR races, et cetera. Is everyone allowed in all the areas or is it like depending on what publication you're a part of, you're allowed to go in certain areas? So during regular season games, some of the more smaller games, like a baseball game, like on a Tuesday, anyone can kind of go anywhere. But once you get more to the bigger events, NBA finals, Super Bowl, World Series, the league will make a list of where each publication can be and cannot be. So they're kind of controlling everything. Okay. So if it's the NBA finals and it's a game here in, uh, in Oakland for the golden state warriors, and I just work for the newspaper in San Francisco, I'm probably not going to be allowed in like the locker room. No. So each league for the most part kind of has its own photography service. They have the NBA, photo team and those guys get all access they can go in the locker room they can go behind the scenes that a lot of other media people can't see okay interesting and then if you want to explain to us i would imagine that a uh because i know you do some college sports and stuff like that as well that like a college football game a much lesser newspaper is allowed to send people or you know a much lesser news outlet is allowed to send people to those events versus maybe like a really high profile basketball or football game or something um is it kind of only the biggest of the big that's even allowed to send people there yeah so if you're here in ohio for example and you're like a small newspaper in ohio and you want to cover an ohio state football game more than likely ohio state will grant you credentials to be able to cover that because Ohio State is a basically a statewide um, college. Everyone follows them, etc. But if you're a small newspaper and you're trying to apply to credentials for the Super Bowl, you're not going to get access to go to the Super Bowl because Ohio State is not going to be, you know, in the Super Bowl, for example. Or even a s- small newspaper is not going to get access to the NBA Finals. This has to depends on how big the newspaper is and if the city that you live in has a newspaper that covers those teams regularly. Okay. Right. Right. So now let's move on to some of the more technical aspects of what you're doing. Once you get checked in and you get sat down, uh, like what, I guess, what are you even trying to take photos of? And that, that question might sound stupid because of course you're trying to take photos of the really, really cool stuff that's happening. Um, but is it any, any more specific than that? Sure. So, The goal at the end of a game is to have 25 to 30 images to showcase what happened. You want to show kind of some feature photos, which would be like players warming up, fans having fun, cheering, tailgating. Then you kind of want the bulk of like the action photos. And then whether that be players diving into the end zone, the quarterback being sacked, the coach throwing his clipboard or being upset, um, then kind of towards the end of the game, you want the players reacting, cheering, hey, we won, or you want kind of dejection, hey, we lost. You don't get that every game, just depends on how big the game is or what's what's on the line. But those are kind of like the guidelines that I kind of go by when I'm at a game. Okay. And 
What are, I guess, the considerations that you have to make, technically speaking, for photographing a live event like that versus things like regular people like me are used to, which is like photographing nature. Like if I go on a vacation, I take photos. So, you know, maybe a couple things are moving a little bit, but they're not moving at crazy superhuman speed like these athletes are, especially I I would imagine if you're doing something like the Indy 500 um, or something like that. What are like some technical considerations that you have to make when even trying to get these photos? Timing. Um, I remember the first time I, w- I ever went to the Indy 500, those cars are going 250 miles an hour. And if you like blank at the wrong time, like they're, they're already by you. So it's just timing, being comfortable with your camera, knowing how to use it. I kind of compare photography to any kind of trade, like a, a carpenter or um, a mechanic. They have specific tools that they use to fix your car or build decks or stuff in your house. It's kind of like how photography is. If you're a photographer and you specialize in sports, you're going to have high, fast cameras compared to someone who is going to be photographing nature and you know stuff's not moving very fast. Yeah. So were there a spe- is there a specific, very specific gear that like you as a sports photographer need that other people just absolutely would not need? No, absolutely. So I'm using super big telephoto lenses, 600 millimeters, 400 millimeters, and I can see you know, a mile, two miles away with these lenses. And then I'm using cameras that can take 16 frames a second by just pushing the button down compared to, you know, an average soccer mom who has their kid playing soccer, you know, they're only going to take five or six frames per second compared to, I know I need a picture of a, a NASCAR car crashing. I need to be able to take 16 frames per second just to get the whole crash. And I would imagine that each one of those 16 frames is like perfect and flawless looking. It's not like, oh, they're a little bit blurry or whatever. Eh, sometimes it just depends. I mean, yes, you are using autofocus, so you are relying on the camera to do some of the work. I mean, there are sometimes I have a picture of a guy diving into the end zone and it's a perfect picture, but that first frame isn't, isn't perfectly sharp, but the next 10 or so are awesome. Even though the first one is kind of like the peak action, you know, the... 10 other ones still do a good job of telling a story. Right, right. So in something that you and I talked about offline a bit, which was so interesting to me that I don't know why I didn't consider this before, but it's like, obviously, we live in this day and age and time where um, everything is immediate and everything needs to be posted immediately to the internet. You were talking about like when you get a really good, let's say you're at like an NFL game and you get a really good photo on the field, you have to like run in really quickly and edit that photo as quickly as possible and send it into whatever publication sent you there. Yeah. So with social media nowadays, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, you're seeing these images pop up there all the time. So guy dies into the end zone. I get the perfect picture. I have to take the memory card out of my camera, run back to the media center download the picture, edit it in Photoshop, which is very minimal. I'm just cropping it and just kind of making sure the levels are okay. And then I'm using another program called Photo Mechanic, which allows me to caption the photo. So I'm telling the date, the player who's diving into the end zone, what quarter it happens, the team they're playing, and what stadium they're at. So when the photo editor at the other end receives that, they go, oh, okay, perfect. That's Kelvin Johnson from the Detroit Lions scoring a touchdown in the second quarter against the Cleveland Browns. Okay. 
So I have a lot of questions about how all this works, but I guess before I can really ask them, I would have to ask, what, how are you paid and who employs you? Like, are you technically speaking freelance and you're like a 1099 employee or are you actually employed by some of these people for short stints, like during a season? And then are you paid per photo? Are you paid per job? Are you paid per hour? How are you getting paid? So I am all independent contractors and I'm independent contractors for ESPN, Sports Illustrated, USA Today, Associated Press, Getty Images. Those are kind of my main clients for sports. I am paid per job. And then for some of them, like the Associated Press and Getty Images, you get paid per job and then you get royalties when a picture sells to other publications. Okay, that's one of the, yeah, that, that was my next question. So yeah, was, do you have any ownership over the photos or as soon as you send them to the publication, they're just like, thanks, and now it's theirs. Um, but so for AP and for Getty, you do get royalties in the future on that. Correct. Okay, cool, man. But so then when, I, I guess that makes sense because they sell photos to people, but for publications like ESPN and stuff like that, it is that when you take that photo and you send it to ESPN, that's now basically just an ESPN photo and that's that. Exactly. Okay, cool, man. So what is it like being completely freelance like that? Like, do you ever get nervous? Like, shit, what if nobody calls me this season or something? Like, I I guess how long in advance are people calling you to to book you out for these jobs? So when I first ever started kind of in the photography world, I was definitely the true starving artist. I was going from job to job to job to job. And... I didn't quite understand the marketing aspect of it and the, and the networking and being friends with these photo editors. Um, kind of as time had passed, I kind of built this reputation that I was a really good football photographer. And I would consistently do work for Getty Images and USA Today. And then I had a friend who became an editor at Sports Illustrated, and he gave me a couple jobs just documenting one, one player. And that kind of turned into two to three games a year, which turned into you know five to ten games per year. And nowadays, I'm not necessarily looking for jobs when football season comes around. I'm doing kind of my legwork right now in July, reaching out to teams and magazines and wire services and brands, going, "Hey, you know, this is my work. What? How can we work together?" And is that typically like a warm lead, the people that you're talking to, like you kind of already know them nowadays? I would say so. Um, I've never run into someone that goes, well, I'm not looking for any photographers right now. Um, Everyone's kind of open with arms. They look at your images. They kind of see where you live, what kind of photography skills you have, what kind of images you produce. And then... It's more about the follow-up than anything. You know, once August kind of rolls around, you kind of keep track of the schedule and who's playing who and go, oh, hey, you know, there's a big games in my area. Are you looking to cover this a game? Um, I still do that a lot, but a lot of the times now I'm just kind of sitting back and people will contact me. Like, hey, we're looking for a photographer to cover this game. Are you available? Yes or no? Yeah, that's really nice, man. So you mentioned that... that a little while after you started, you realized like how important marketing yourself was and networking and stuff like that. Tell us about some of the lessons, I guess, that you learned in that regard and ways that you learned to better market yourself and get yourself out there. 
Sure. So photography is a kind of a small network, but sports photography is even smaller. So, I mean, there's only so many sport photographers in the country. There's so many magazines and photo editors and um, print publications, per se. So, at one point, someone will work at one publication, then will leave, then work at another publication, then work at a brand, then will work for, you know, Nike or Adidas or Under Armour. So, just staying in touch with those people is extremely important. I used to do a lot of work for Under Armour several years ago. When I had a friend that worked for them, but that friend went and worked for a new job. I think they work for Target now, and I haven't done anything for Under Armour since then. So it's just just because you do something for them for several years, and the person who hire you hires you is there, and once they leave, they're not going to guarantee you're going to continue working for them. So it's just about always being in the right spot at the right time, whether that's hey, I'm just reaching out to make sure everything's okay or just reaching out, hey, this is the latest project I worked on. What do you think about this? Even getting feedback from these people is amazing. Yeah, yeah. How'd you get your first job, Andrew? I I would imagine that that's just so difficult. And then I guess if you want to talk about how you, I guess, like moved up in the ranks from the time that you got your very first job ever. Sure. So I have no formal photography training. So when I was in eighth grade, we took a film class and to be able to print an eight by 10 in the dark room, you had to have a really nice picture. So the teacher would always go, Hey, you know, you can print an eight by 10. So it happened, you know, probably 10 or 15 times throughout the school year. And I got a part-time job working at a local newspaper. And from there, I just really, really worked on building my portfolio and if a kid came to me today and goes, hey, I want you to look at my portfolio, as long as it's a really, really good portfolio, I don't care if it's a professional athlete or a model or a NASCAR driver, as long as it's really, really good, I have no problem putting in a good word for someone compared to if you just have a bunch of just random pictures, that's not going to interest a photo editor down the road. So I kind of learned that kind of quickly that if you're shooting really, really awesome football pictures at a high school game, more than likely you can take really, really good pictures at a college game. And I just kind of worked my way up from that. So once I had a really good college portfolio, then I kind of dabbled in reaching out to people who covered NFL games. And once I had one game, one game leads to five games to 20 games. And I roughly do between 30 and 40 NFL games a year now. So I guess what sorts of lessons do you feel like you learn from all that that you can maybe pass along to other people? Because I feel like being a professional photographer is like the holy grail. Like the number of people that I know that are photographers on the side of their job and would like kill to be a professional photographer and just get paid to be a professional photographer. I like can't even count on both my hands. Like I know so many people like that. And like to, to just say like, oh, we'll just take take some good pictures or something clearly, I guess is not enough of advice. So, um, yeah, I guess like, what did you learn from that whole experience? So like, what do you think now, uh, you would do if you needed to become a professional photographer in, in any sort of capacity? Well, one thing notably, noticeably different that didn't happen five years ago was basically the internet has, has exploded compared to what it was. And everything needs pictures. 
whether that's a website or a blog or a personal brand or someone's Instagram account or a business or restaurants, real estate, imagery is everything now. And there's so many different ways to make money in photography. There's these different sectors and you don't necessarily have to be good at all of them. As long as you're good at one or two of them and you have the ability to figure out what no one else can accomplish in those fields, then you can be a successful photographer. And we were kind of joking prior to the podcast started was, yes, I'm a sports photographer and doing this for almost six years now. I don't necessarily like watching sports on television, which most people think was, is funny. But when you're going to, you know, all these sporting events throughout the year, you want to watch something else besides sports. I go to so many games and I see so many different things that on Saturdays and Sundays when I'm not working, I'm going to watch, you know, my TV shows or I'm going to be outside working or spending time with my wife and my dog. I'm, I'm doing things that other people live and die for the weekend, playing fantasy football and kind of keeping up with everything um, in the sports world. Yeah, for sure. So maybe if you are going to pick something, don't necessarily pick something that you, that you want to love forever, because it might take a little bit of the bloom off the rose when you start doing that every day. Totally. And then you kind of do it for a while. Then you kind of learn what's involved and football games and NASCAR races and you kind of see behind the scenes and it kind of takes away from the kind of wow factor that you see on television. You're like, Oh, I know how that happens. So you're kind of explaining it to all your friends you're watching the game with. So it kind of gets old. And at the end of the day, it's work and you're taking pictures to make a living for your family and which is awesome. But there's just so many ups and downs in there that it's just not fun sometimes. How long did it take you to become good at this, Andrew? Because I'm sure that when you first started, you're like, yeah, I'm pretty good. But now looking back on where you were at when you first started compared to where you're at now, um, how much has changed and how long did that all take? So I've been a 100% freelance photographer for seven years now. The first four years were tough and probably the last two and a half years have been awesome. I've kind of learned what I'm good at, how to market, how to network with people, who needs images, what big brands are hiring a lot of photographers right now. So I spend a lot of time analyzing the market versus just taking pictures. I probably only take pictures 25 to 35% of my day or week. A lot of the other times I'm spending editing, meeting with people, just kind of thinking of ideas that I can pitch to different companies or brands or even personal projects that I want to work on. And that is way more beneficial down the long road than physically taking pictures. That's really interesting. Good advice. It's kind of like the old uh, measure twice, cut once principle that you shouldn't just go out and just take shitloads of photos constantly. Um, it, that's, that's really interesting. Um, I, what sort of like analysis, I guess, are you doing? And what, what is some of the most helpful stuff that you're doing? So a lot of people ask me, do I hang out with other photographers a lot? And I have a lot of photographer friends across different industries, different states that do a wide variety of different things. And yes, we collaborate from time to time, but 
I don't necessarily hang out with those people. I hang out with the complete opposite of what I do. I want to hang out with developers, iPhone um, builders, people who are needing images down the road to fill those gaps between their clients and the end user. So I have a friend who is an ex- extremely successful web designer, and I do a lot of collaboration with him, whether that's just portraits of people, photographs of inside and exteriors of buildings, um, product photography. So I find myself around kind of obscure jobs more than my own photographers. Yeah, that's really great advice for any sort of entrepreneur, because I think that what kind of naturally people fall into from uh, whatever type of job they previously had is you want to surround yourself with people that do a similar job to you, because then you can kind of commiserate and get advice and this and that. But when you are doing your own thing and you're freelance or an entrepreneur in any way, it really does not behoove you to hang out with people that are doing the same thing as you. You need to hang out with people that are doing other stuff than you. Um, and I mean, that's really the right way to network because they don't they don't then know 28 other photographers that can do this for them. They only know you. You're like the guy that they know. Um, and that's obviously helpful. And something you and I were talking about before the interview as well um you were talking about this podcast and how you like listening to the um like more i guess obscure episodes or people that do things that are very different than you and trying to glean like lessons from that and how they could apply to you and i'm i'm very much the same way as you andrew like i love i love hearing someone talk about what they do for a living and then thinking about like okay how could i apply this to me because then it could be a much more unique lesson you know and a lesson that maybe a lot of other photographers aren't using um so yeah there's just so many good sides to surrounding yourself with people that are not really um what would typically be in in that sort of circle so a perfect example is that is i do a lot of work for our art museum here in toledo the toledo museum of art and i've been doing work for them for almost seven years now and in 2012 they brought in an artist named Jame Plenza, who's a Spanish sculptor. He did the Crown Plaza Fountain in Chicago. It's, a, it's got like some faces on it, it's spit out some water. And he's extremely famous as far as sculptors go. And I photographed him in 2012. I forgot about him. And he came back in Toledo four or five days ago. And I've been in contact with him over the last month because they were installing some of his sculptures. And when he came back into town, he remembered me. He was very, very open to me photographing him. And he kind of allowed me to take a look into his world as a sculptor, an international sculptor, which is extremely amazing. And being able to photograph him and listen to him speak about that, that's way more interesting than me interviewing another photographer because – They're going to talk about the exact same things I already know. And I want to learn different sets of skills and I want to be more well-rounded so I can talk about being a sculptor or learning about sculpting to other people. Yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. Um, Andrew, what are your thoughts on Instagram? And has that been something that do you view as like good or bad for photographers and photography? So I've seen it be both good and bad. I have a couple friends who have been extremely fortunate. They're not, they're not even photographers. One is a, a school teacher. And I think he has like 
350,000 followers and he's done Instagram posts for McDonald's. He's done stuff for camera companies. He's done stuff for hotels, Disney. It's a way to collaborate and get images seen by large brands that wouldn't be able to be seen without them. But on the downside of things, I think just because you have an Instagram account and you post beautiful pictures, that means you're a photographer. Um, it's kind of a, sorry, it hasn't helped me or hurt me in my business whatsoever. It's just been a nice way to showcase my images. I have, done a couple things for some brands through Instagram, but I'm not constantly doing work for them, you know, monthly or even yearly. My biggest thing right now, I think is Snapchat. I think if photographers can use Snapchat to show behind the scenes of the cool stuff they're doing, whether that's in studio, on location, portraits of people, that's going to draw the attention to video more than necessarily still pictures. Hmm. Yeah. Andrew, talk about um, just being at a super amazing, I, I guess, I mean, now you just told us that you don't like sports as much as you used to, but <laughs> <laughs> talk about the, the, I guess, being able to go to these amazing sporting events. And like, I, I've seen these super up close videos and photos and stuff that you have uh, like around the championship with LeBron and stuff like that. Um, I guess just like, how cool is that, man? It's always a humbling experience to be able to cover these such large events that, you know, people would pay thousands of dollars a ticket to be able to sit in the nosebleeds to watch their favorite team hoist the championship trophy that hasn't been won in 52 years. But at the end of the day, my job is to tell a story for all the people that couldn't be there. And it's also to be able to kind of preserve a historical moment. And 10 years from now, I want those pictures to kind of live on. So when people go back and look at them, they're like, wow, you know, these are the pictures when the Cavs won the championship, or this is when Jimmy Johnson won five NASCAR championships in a row. It's more about telling a story over time through history. That's extremely important to me besides, you know, kind of the emotional factor of it. Yes, it's, amazing to see these athletes up close and personal but at the end of the day they're a professional athlete i'm a professional photographer we're both there to do our job and we're both kind of respectful of each one another which is awesome that's interesting and also i would imagine that you you almost can't take in how cool this thing is that that you're like let's say LeBron's like standing six inches away from you or um, if you're at that finals game and oh wait I guess that way that was here that wasn't in Cleveland but um, in general being it, it, as some like crazy event unfolds all you're thinking about is like am I getting a photo of this how good is the photo that I'm getting of this you're not thinking like wow this is such a crazy event to be a part of yeah it almost takes three to four days after the event is over so I'm at an event, I'm photographing, you know, LeBron or Jimmy Johnson, you know, any of these big time athletes. It doesn't quite sink in until three or four days later when other friends see me and they're like, dude, you're at that sporting event. I was like, yeah, I was there. They're like, oh, how was that? I'm like, the Cavs won. Like, what else do you want to know? 
And, <laughs> you know, it's just kind of one of those things that like, I need other people to tell me how cool that is sometimes to kind of be like, oh, wow, you know, I'm pretty fortunate. I'm, I'm, it's amazing that I get to do what I get to do. Yeah. I mean, well, it makes sense. You're looking at everything while you're there on such a micro level and like literally looking at it through a camera lens. So it's kind of hard to take a step back while you're there. Um, And another thing that is amazing to see, it wouldn't necessarily happen without social media is when I post images and people comment and share them about how cool they are. That's more more important to me than anything because these fans are just so crazy for these athletes and these teams and they want these images to kind of have a memory of themselves and to be able to provide that is extremely humbling. Yeah. That's really cool, man. That is really cool. And as a sports fan, I have to say thank you for that. Cause it is badass, man. You're very um, welcome. So, uh, tell us the best technical advice that you ever got in your entire life with regards to photography. The best picture with shitty lighting is not the best picture. So you could take a picture of a guy jumping in the end zone on a cloudy day and it's a picture of a guy jumping into the end zone. But if you take a picture of a guy jumping into the end zone and the sun is setting like on him and it's like beautiful light and there's like puffy clouds and, you know, kind of the perfect landscape picture, that's the picture that is amazing to me. So if you look at a lot of my photography, not even sports, a lot of my pictures have beautiful clouds, a lot of blue skies, and really, really nice light around sunset, which is considered kind of like the sunset twilight hour. Those are my favorite times to photograph anything, sports, buildings, people, because the light is just so nice. And if anything I can tell any photographer out there is that the best light is one hour prior to sunrise and one hour prior to sunset. Those are kind of my two favorite times to photograph anything. Wait, prior to sunrise or after sunrise? Sorry, after sunrise. Okay, cool. Yeah, that, <laughs> that makes more sense. I was like, damn, <laughs> prior to sunrise, that's that's got to be pretty dark out. Um. um Cool, man. Well, that's uh, yeah, that's very good advice. It's almost like you have an extra an extra player in the photo, like an extra character in the photo. Yeah, I mean, if you look at like National Geographic's or any kind of beautiful landscape of a city, or even in San Francisco, like the Golden Gate Bridge, the best photos are when like the light is hitting it, and there's like puffy clouds, and it just looks like this painted picture that just looks amazing. And anytime you can take that and put it into any kind of setting it just makes things that much better yeah andrew do you regularly work alone or with other people it it sounds like you only work alone but are there cases where like espm will have you and like six other guys go out and be like okay you get it from this angle you get it from this angle no no absolutely you know some of the bigger events there's a team of photographers they bring in photo editors and and memory card runners and each photographer is put in a specific area to photograph, you know, the game. You no, know, two people might be on the field. One person might be up high. One, one person might be just kind of roaming around. So some of the bigger events, there are, there's a team aspect to it. And 
at the end of the day, as long as the team produces the best images they can produce, the people who hire you are happy. Yeah. So in that case, do you just, I guess, feel a little bit less pressure if like some great thing happens on the total other end of the field, you're not like, oh shit, I didn't get that one. It's like, oh, no big deal. Cause the other guy got it. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, if one year at the Super Bowl, like I was sitting in a seat and I couldn't move. And if something happens away from you, it happens away from you, you know, no harm, no foul, because it's kind of not, it's not in your area to cover. As long as the other guys got it, everything's okay. Yeah. Um, all right, let's, uh, let's wind this thing down, Andrew. So first of all, what can you get paid as a sports photographer? It sounds like you have a pretty good business going for you. So just some sort of ballpark for us would be awesome. And uh, what is the best pay in photography? Um, like doing, doing what type of photography could you make the most money? So I'm going to start with making the most money in photography right now is any kind of commercial advertising. So anytime you see a ad with Gatorade or Pepsi or Adidas, Nike, Under Armour, anytime there's advertising dollars that are spent on that to push towards demographic or a particular audience, when an ad buyer comes to you and goes, hey, I need to buy that picture for an ad, it's going to be seen by hundreds of millions of people. You can sell that picture way more than someone who's going to use this picture and it's only going to be seen by a thousand people. So that's why, if you think about it this way, that's why the advertising space for the Super Bowl is so expensive because so many people are watching that. And anytime the more eyeballs are on a particular video or picture or television show, the more money that can be sold for the advertising. And that's kind of where the the real money in photography is. Now, is this typically for you then when you did photos for AP or for Getty? And, uh, and then they're going to be purchased that way. Sometimes it happens that way, but some of the, some of the advertising stuff I do, um, I do work directly for the brands. So they'll bring me in and go, Hey, we need to shoot a a picture of these five athletes doing these five things. It's going to be used for this, for this advertising campaign. Great. You know, it's going to cost $10,000 and they're like, okay, that's fine. You know, so that is kind of how the advertising space works where there's bigger money, there's more budgets compared to the sports world, which is kind of more editorial. If I'm working for Sports Illustrated, for example, they have a pretty set day rate. It ranges between $400 and $800 a day to cover a football game compared to, like I said before, the $10,000 for an advertising campaign. There's yeah. a lot more involved in the advertising campaign compared to covering a sporting events. And there's less people physically seeing those images. The Putting the price on photography is hard because you just don't know kind of what the end usage is going to be for. And I struggle with this every single day in my business when someone constantly goes, hey, I need you to do this job for me. And I have a bajillion questions for these people before I even give them a price. And sometimes that's frustrating. And sometimes, you know what? I don't have time to do this and I'll make up like a crazy price for them. And they go, okay, yeah, that's fine. I'm like, well, this is awesome. Now that I just kind of have this new job (laughs) that I didn't expect to have. Yeah. So that's cool, man. It's, it sounds like it doesn't really matter what, uh, 
type of photography you go into then. It's not really about the type of photography. It's about who the client is and that's it. Absolutely. I mean, um, I just did this morning 25 headshots for a law firm. And, you know, you say I'm charging $200 a head for this law firm. And they go, okay, that's, you know, that's fine. $200 a person. And, you know, that's a pretty good morning compared to, you know, going to work at a, you know, a normal office job. Granted, you, you not, already I'm did not, that today. Yeah, I did this morning. Damn, dude. So you made, I don't know, I, my math isn't that good, but you made a lot of money this morning. 2,500 bucks. Yeah, that's sweet, man. But I'm not doing that every day. You know, it's, it's one day you're doing a $2,500 job, one day you're doing a $300 job or a $100 job. So the price range is kind of all out, it's everywhere. Cool, man. Uh, Andrew, so let's uh, let's finish this thing up. So you've already given some good advice for photographers in the world. Um, just leave us off with like one last parting thought for any young aspiring photographers. Don't be afraid to keep taking pictures. Just because you take a bad one doesn't mean the next one's going to be bad. The more pictures you take, the better you become. And keep sharing those images. Don't be afraid to just have a website and just keep posting and posting and posting because at some point there'll be a turning point and go, man, I'm getting really good at this. Then you can go back and look at where you started because as long as you have a good starting point and a good ending point with a good middle point, that definitely helps down the road of becoming a good photographer. Yeah, definitely, man. Dude, great advice. Um, I really appreciate you coming on the show, Andrew, and all this, uh, all the info. It's been really interesting. Thanks for having me. Hey everyone, it's Blake. I hope you all enjoyed the episode with Andrew. If you did enjoy the episode, I would appreciate it so much if you left a review on iTunes saying what you enjoyed about it. If you did not enjoy the episode, dude, feel free to just not do that and not leave a review. I'm totally cool with that. Um, Coming up on Monday's episode, we have got Bree McCoy who works for a nonprofit called Compassion. And I know we've already had someone on the show that works for a nonprofit, but first of all, it's the type of thing that I would like to have on the show more than once. Second of all, um, Bree's job that she does with the nonprofit specifically and what she's in charge of running is just so interesting and so unique to me. When she wrote in to tell me about it, I was like, man, I have got to have you on the show. So anyways, you guys got that to look forward to on Monday. Have a great weekend and thanks so much for listening to the show.